Well, once I started with my my property and it was, you know, through my passion and I put all into it and I just loved it. And it was just became a way of life and those around me were talking property as well. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we'll continue the conversation with Jill McIntyre who delves more into her property investing strategies, how she turned a small project into a million dollar deal and the important mindsets she keeps in place regarding property and life. Whilst working on a development, McIntyre shares the strategies she encourages her clients to use and how she and her business partner landed the current property deal. Well, all the way along, I've been doing residential property. And of course, I do this with my clients on a daily basis and and honing in and being a, even to you, we've been talking about this, about you being an area expert in one area and keeping your focus and defining down into one area. And my property partner and I had been looking um, down in the Safety Beach and Dramana area here, um, down Bayside area, for quite a while, and we'd been putting offers in on buy, renovate, subdivide, sell sites. The market had been turning uh, for the downward spiral a bit, and nothing was stacking up. And so I just... Sean and I got together and had a talk and I said, I think we need to be coming down to more affordable area. We were working on that if we had bought a uh, house on the hill uh, in Dramana, say for example, we would have been having to pay 850000 for it. We would have had to do a structural renovation uh, with 100000 at least to sell it for a million dollars maybe. And it just wasn't equating um for doing it, and that would have been very, very tight to even get that, and especially with the market turning. So coming to a more affordable area, and so I started to look at at um, Frankston North, and and I knew a bit of the background of of things there, and I didn't want to go into Frankston North and Frankston and Frankston South, and I started to look at Frankston South, and I thought. Came across a block of land that was 2,662 square metres, and I just, my eyes really fell out of my head. I couldn't believe how could this block of land be sitting there and for sale, three street frontage um, in Frankston North, uh, Frankston South. Despite the exciting prospect buying this land could give, McIntyre found that there were restrictions that would prevent her from using her usual renovate, subdivide, or multi dwelling strategy. I kept on um, looking at it and I got in touch with Sean and there was a 2,000 uh, square metre overlay on it which meant that you can't subdivide on it and you can't multi-dwell. It's in a greeny area and with that overlay, that was it. It was a residential house on it um, and beautiful block of land. So I sat on it for a while. When I rang the agent, it was um, under contract. And he took my name because in this market when lending is so hard uh, at the moment, there's a lot of deals that are falling over. And once upon a time in a hot market, 
you didn't need to get back to the agent if it was under contract. But on a market that, that it's um, slowing down and falling, definitely give your name to the agent so that then he can come back, and he did. Uh, it fell over at, at um, finance stage with whoever had um, purchased it, first of all. So I then started about seven or eight weeks of negotiations because I... Um, from someone that wouldn't say boot or goose all those years ago, I love negotiating. It's just such a game these days. And I'd play hardball, there's no doubts about it. And I was going for a 12-month um, settlement and various things, only putting 1% deposit down on the balance at the end of due diligence. And I ended up getting a six-month settlement, 1% uh, down on the balance at the end of the 59 days due diligence period. Uh, and... It wasn't easy negotiations, but over that period of time before we got to the negotiation stage, I'd been trying to think about we definitely don't want to buy it to put a residential house on it. That's not where the strategy comes in. What could we do with it? After intense research and multiple deterrents, McIntyre shares that she was eventually able to come up with a profitable use for the land. I thought about a medical centre. And did some research and there was too many medical centres too close by. Then I thought about aged care and then found out that uh, we needed 4,000, a minimum of 4,000 square metres wow. in an aged care. So that was out. Yeah. And so then I thought, what else can we do? And this was going on over a period of time. Of course, it didn't all happen in five minutes because I'd go and do some more research. And I thought, what about a childcare centre? And uh, then I went for about another three or four weeks and I just, in residential, you work on supply and demand and all of the indicators stays on the market and who your market is and what it's selling for. And it's very easy for me these days to equate that or equate it for a, a client, say, if we're going through on one of their feasibilities as to whether a deal isn't good or not. But I couldn't bring that into childcare because everything with childcare works in equations and it works on how many children you could uh, set the childcare up with, um, multiplied by what the government rebate is, multiply days, multiply everything with equations. And one of my own clients over in Perth, um, he's now a buyer's agent, a successful and very busy buyer's agent, and I knew that he was interested and in chat there and I rang him up. He had a look at the site online and he said, buy it, that's it, buy it. And uh, he gave me the equation and, and the equation he gave me was what the business would be worth. And from an $840,000 purchase, um, which ended up, of course, we, we purchased the property, um, we also met in between other people, uh, a fabulous guy, John Wall in Queensland, who specialises in childcare, and uh, yes, a town planner here in Melbourne, David Klingberg. And between them, we've got the best team on board, we've got a demand report to tell us what was in our area, whether there were threats, whether it was worthwhile. And before you even go into childcare, you need a demand report or a means um, report to find out whether it's worthwhile. But we're now, uh, we settle on the 4th of February um, 2019. We're in the six-month period. Uh, 
we've got a financial backer. But just to give you some ideas that the figures have come in, that if we took this right through and set it up, we would have a billion business of about um, $7.4 million. Wow. Um, and can I tell you, there's been some wow moments <laughs> when I'd opened the emails at 6 o'clock and 5.30 in the morning and I'd read spreadsheets and, yeah, even the rental return is 252000 a year. Um, and wow. With it back in place and approvals coming in, McIntyre explains that an important part of this project was ensuring that she had a good team together. I can't um, stress enough about getting a good team together of guys who were doing us absolutely. And even down to the agent, the selling agent has been such a support and help um, along the way. But we're, yeah, it's just fabulous, just fabulous. And, and taking that on, and so as soon as this is settled, we're just giving ourselves a a little bit of a break uh, while we go through all of the motions. Yesterday we had it valued. You know, there's so many things that we've learned along the way about getting it valued before the DA goes in for the childcare. Otherwise, you become a commercial site on the LVR rather than a residential site. Um, buying, of course, in Victoria as we are here with and or nominee and all of the implications there, which in other states... Uh, you can do it in Queensland, but it's a different format of doing it. Western Australia, you can't do it, but the implications there of not having to pay double stamp duty, it's been a huge learning curve, but I've loved it. But exactly, how long did it take McIntyre to negotiate and make an offer on the property? About seven or eight weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a fast process and also too, we haven't had, uh, it was a deceased estate and the, the daughter who was, I, I gather she uh, is maybe 60 or something like that. She's never owned property in her life and I think it's got a lot of fear about things when we were talking about uh, an extended time for settlement. Um, and so working with someone on that level, I've had to, this had to be a lot from our point of view where we probably offered more than what I would have normally only because of the potential of the site. Because by then, we had our town planner on board and our childhood specialist on board, plus McClarton, West Australia, that had all done the figures from their end and working with us and we hadn't even uh, taken the town planner and the childcare specialist on board. They were all working with us before we even signed a contract. Rushing to get the contract signed, she explains what else the negotiations entailed. And they're all saying, get your name on that contract, get your name on that contract. And um, so it, it was something that even as a way, I started off wanting uh, 12-month settlement and the house that's on there is certainly in need of TLC. There's a, a bit happening there. And so I worked on that we, Sean and I, would do a, a very, very cosmetic, basic renovation, get the property rented out. She could even have, uh, say, 11 months of rental going through the current agent that she'd employed um, to sell the property and get the income from that. But no, that wasn't going to work either. So with lots of backwards and forwards, um, there wasn't any qualm about the 1% that I offered on the deposit rather than 20 And then the balance at the end of the 
due diligence period. The due diligence period was another thing that was um, up for grabs. Uh, I had originally um, 45 days, and uh, then at the end of the 45 days, for every day that we went over that um, 45 days, for another 14 days to the 59, we would pay another $1,000 towards the deposit. So in the end, we paid the balance of the 5% at the end of the 59 days plus 14000 extra in, in deposit. But that was a way of getting us um, going and going from there. But it's a game. And start to look at negotiating as a game. And if people who you're negotiating with or the agent that you're negotiating with, if they laugh at you, uh, turn around and don't put up with it. Um, I, I always recommend to my clients that they buy 20% under for all the right reasons that that's where you might start to make your money. And I've had clients come back and say that the agents laughed at me. And I, and I said, well, in every state, to my knowledge, um, it's compulsory that they have to put that um, whatever you offer in and turn around and say, I do this all the time and I've got some really good deals happening and obviously I'm looking for a motivated agent. Uh, to be working with, and you, that probably doesn't fit your criteria. So I'm sorry about that. You know, don't let you wear what other people are laughing at you for. Turn around and, and make it work for you. Um, in a nice way, I'm not talking about being sarcastic, but yeah, stand in your own power here. This is your game. It's not theirs, it's yours. Did you put an option on this particular property or was it actually going to be a buy outright buy settlement on the No, floor? I had to buy. Uh, an option would have been uh, no, no way. Um, and there was no one else bidding for the property. It's just that the further on we got, the more difficult the uh, beneficiary became through fear. Fear that we, you know, something might happen, which, which of course you can't. You're in a binding contract, but her fear basis of being naive um, bless her heart was something that's worked against her (laughs) and never owning property in her life um, all of these sorts of things to think that she could have got uh, 11 months more money from um, you know rental that we were all happy to do the renovation and and uh, she had all of the income from all of that but couldn't think laterally on that level While there was a chance that she could have lost the particular deal, McIntyre has gained invaluable lessons from that experience, including how handling the project as a group rather than individually changed the entire end result. There's another deal. Don't spend all of your time crying over spilt milk. What did I learn from that experience? Even now to where we are, we've learned so much from that experience. We'd be doing a lot of things differently. But it's been, even from my point of view, of how far I could reach to um, connect with people to have sessions with them as I was fundraising. And fundraising for individual ones to come on board uh, to be part of the initial purchase to start off with. And then all of a sudden, it went to a different level where I had five guys that I was discussing on buying out the whole deal. And it just went from individual contributors of, you know, I've got 100000 or something to put into the deal to we will be, where we're coming in, we want to finance the whole deal. We're talking about a $3.5 million finance or a $7 million end result. 
So it jumped from being small time to big time with the investors even. Coming up after the break, we'll continue to delve into Jill McIntyre's property journey to find out more about her current residential house turned childcare project. So we would have 84 children but then there's lots of pluses with all of that along the way these days because boutique childcare centres of 84 are more sought after than what, um, you know, 150 children would be. Why she keeps extra strategies in place for her property deals? Always, from day one, I've had, I had it drummed in from my original mentor that I did so much with for years. And he would always say, think of your number of exit strategies. Where can you get out? The important things to keep in mind when applying yourself to any situation. Thinking multiplied by your actions give you the results you're getting today. And by thinking, I mean, where would your thinking be? Is it a positive thinking? Are you uh, in the right mindset to be solving problems? And that's next. I'm Tyrone Sharm and you're listening to Property Investory. However, bringing on money partners to this project was no easy feat. McIntyre reminds us that it only occurred because of the due diligence she and her initial team completed. Although it started with our demand report and then that went to the childcare specialist, he did profit and losses and on year one um, that it was operating as a childcare would be turning over 564000 in profit from year one. The second year when it was fully operational, the projections were 818,000 profit before tax. But the thing is that you've got virtually a two-year gap where there's nothing to start off with. But you could have that property, once you got up and operational, you could have that property paid off in virtually five years. That's right. That's right. So does that mean that the zoning as well on this particular property will need to change commercial later on? No, it is still um, residential because there's lots of things that you can do in that zoning. We could build a childcare centre. We could set up as B&B. But because it is in a very treed area, we've got to be very mindful of uh, childcare because it's in the, in the zoning that we are. We can only build on 25% of that 2,662 square metre block. Oh, that's small. Wow. Okay. Absolutely. So we would have 84 children. But then there's lots of pluses with all of that along the way these days because boutique childcare centres of, of 84 are more sought after than what, um, you know, 150 children would be. Also, with working with this specialist, it's a very uh, refined farmyard environment childcare with a goat and ducks and all of these sorts of things, lizards in an environment that they're there, or fresco inside instead of a dollar eighty to feed a child on a daily basis to pay a chef three dollars eighty per child, they would grow a lot of the vegetables and things outside. Um, where children are very protected in child you know, in play yard environments, not to hurt themselves and not to get band aids, they're finding out more and more that this is not helping children on how to think. They're taught what to think, but not how to think. Where moving on, and so this is taking it back where 
The children might hurt themselves, but strangely enough, they don't. Um, reports have shown by because they're thinking through situations of thinking ahead, and it's helping them on all levels by reverting back to that sort of thinking. So this would be a very unique um, childcare that would stand out against the normal run-of-the-mill ones too. Taking an estimated two years to complete this whole project, McIntyre delves into the nitty-gritty re-evaluations she'll undertake before deciding the end result of the project. Two years from start to finish and, and there's lots of things there even to get loans on building and things like that. You've got to have childcare um, experience from the bank's point of view. So, you know, we'll get the DA approval stage um, and we'll reassess it at each stage to where we are. But this won't be the first one and it doesn't mean that there's a lot of childcare. Childcare has been done to death um, over the last five years, so there's good money to be made. But knowing what we know now, um, yes, it, it, we would go at it very, very differently and... You know, we would approach things and having one under our belt plus um, all of these sorts of things at whatever stage we pull out, we know a lot more now than we did, say, even eight months ago. She also adds that part of this process of reassessing the project at each stage means she'll have multiple exit strategies behind this deal. We will assess the market where it is at whatever stage we're at. So we'll get DA approved of stage, then we might go on to the next stage, which would be build. We'd like to set it up and organise it at that stage or to run it. it it's virtually in, it, in the market that we're in at the moment. This is the beauty that we've got, that we can sell it off at any stage. And this goes for when you're doing residential property too. So many clients would go and buy a property and, yes, they've got one strategy. Always, from day one, I've had, I had it drummed in from my original mentor that I did so much with for years. And he would always say, think of your number of exit strategies. Where can you get out, um, say, with a buy, renovate, subdivide, sell? Um, what would you do if you couldn't sell the raw site to do a, um, a build and sell off with land and house package, for example? And all of the different stages, sit and write down all of those stages before you even start on a, to negotiate on a deal because you don't know where the market is. You don't know where you, what your situation. If someone's sick or you've got a better deal or you need money, so you've got to read the market at any point to find out when you will move on or what you'll do. Thinking back to the beginning of her property journey and how she's come so far to have exit strategies and a consistent plan, McIntyre talks about the mentors she worked with. Well, once I started with my my property and it was, you know, through my passion and I put all into it um, and I just loved it. And it was just became a way of life and those around me were talking property as well. And so from the day with Jill that I started off, I always felt that I wanted to get out and do more with coaching. And so uh, down the track, I did a... Uh, different things. I did an online membership course. Um, that was a couple of years with that mentor that I had. Then I got in and I did life coaching um, and that was a, another long-term relationship that I had with that entity. I did a business coaching course um, as well. So over the years, I've spent a lot of money, yes, but I've also 
built on where I am to bring it in to be a life, business and property coach. And I've been doing this with my own business uh, for the last uh, 12 years or something like that. In relation to life more so than property, McIntyre shares the individuals she recommends you should follow while talking about the books and mindsets they've taught her. On life, absolutely. I do a lot of work um, or follow a lot of uh, a guy called Andy Shaw, S-H-A-W, and he's an English guy that was in a property guru. Um, I just think his mindset and his thinking, he's got a couple of books that are audio books or online books, and I'm a very firm follower, and I get each of my clients to follow him as well. Um, his thinking is so straightforward on you know, if we can't change things to work through and find a solution. And the part that ego has in what we do on a daily basis to try and stop us from moving forward and getting out of our comfort zone. There's another guy and his name is John Assas, A-S-S-A-R-A-S. And uh, he's an American guy, but both of them, um, they're my main ones that I follow uh, with what I do in mindset because it just follows on. It's with this mindset that McIntyre recalls the most pivotal piece of advice she's heard and how she came across it. There's no such thing as victims as only volunteers. Wow, that's very powerful. That's the first I've heard of that one. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, all of those years after I, my husband died and life was just such a struggle um, and I mean a struggle and a half with, with things just on a daily basis. It was purely survival for me for years and for my children because we all tried to cope in different ways, which was we didn't have the tools back then, we didn't have the support because for to be a widow at 39 with two young children was a rarity. We now there's so many single parents, but we were you know, doing it alone on many levels. There just wasn't the support. Um, and... One a very dear friend of mine um, came home and or came to dinner one night and she said, I've just been to a workshop and I've heard a very powerful statement. There's no such thing as victims as any volunteers. And I thought, what have I been doing? What have I been doing? And it's mindset. It's all mindset. And, you know, that comes back to me time and time and time again. And, yes, I share that with clients too. Because we can very easily fall into that trap when things aren't right, we start to implode. Instead of having a mind shift to think about, okay, this is the problem where we spend 90% of our time. What's a solution? And there's a, another good one is Einstein's quote, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend the first 55 minutes on the problem because once I found the solution very, very quickly, it had only taken me five minutes to move on. And this is where another mind shift um, thing that we've got to, if there's a problem like the childcare site that I found, the problem was that I couldn't do multi-drumming and I couldn't subdivide. So what would be the solution? And the more that you can start to be thinking about the solutions, yeah, man, oh, man, the world opens up for you. With a focus on solutions and keeping the end goal in mind, McIntyre explains a personal habit she has. I'm pretty methodical about working on me 
and I always say I was presenting uh, a week back and uh, I, I get up and in part of that particular presentation, I said, we all put petrol in our car to make it run. How much petrol do we put into ourselves? What do we give back? And this is where we leave ourselves to last, most of us. And this you're high on ego and, and putting you first, which is, you know, where most people don't come from. And we've got to give back with self-confidence, self-worth, who we are, give gratitude on what we're doing. Start to build a team, but you've got to come from integrity. You've got to, integrity is my number one thing. And I won't take a client on board if I feel that I can't help them. And one guy said, gee, that's really strange. You know, you're not going to take my money if you feel that you can't help me. That would be a rarity these days. And I said, I, if I can't help you, I don't want to take your money. So that's where I come from an integrity point of view that if if I, I want to see people grow and move forward and I get just as much of a kick out of it as watching on and being a part of that privileged space as what they do. But equally so, they've got to be ready to get out of their comfort zone when they come and want to work with me too. She adds that this personal habit is not only for her own benefit or interest, but for the benefit of her clients. Because I do so much with personality profiling, when a client comes on board with me, they've got to do a personality profile for a start. They've got to do a preliminary assessment. So before I even start with the first session with them, I know more about them than they want to know about themselves. So I can pin them up without any problems whatsoever. Um, you know, I, I had to, when I was presenting up with Matt Jones, that Matt's been my client and I originally started with me about 11 years ago. And Matt, Matt Jones, I'm sure um, a lot listening will know Matt Jones from uh, Property Resource Shop and Brisbane Property Networking Group. And when Matt started with me, he had about six people in his meetup groups where now he's got 150 at least of his meetup groups. And, and working through all of this, from my point of view as a coach, uh, I've got guys in Perth who are just doing the same things that I work and, and change their lives. But I don't change it. They change it. I just give them the tools and I just walk by their side. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting from my point of view. I reap the benefits on a daily basis and uh, how privileged I am to be in that. That all started with me starting to turn my own life around and, um, yeah, just walking a mile in, in other people's shoes. Taking a trip down memory lane, McIntyre shares the advice she would have told herself 10 years ago. Wow. Never, ever look over your shoulder. Just keep on going. And... There's lots of things looking back that I would take on because of my low self-esteem years and years ago. I would be taking on of they would stop me years ago. They would um, hinder my growth. I'd be re-evaluating situations in the head. Where these days I move forward very, very quickly in thinking about what the problem is have I made a mistake or has it been a growth spurt? And there aren't mistakes in my life these days. They're growth spurts. And I wish I knew that 10 years ago. 
because out of everything that we do, always turn around, even the childcare site, for example, turn around and how could we have done this differently? How could we have done it better? What? Who did we need to bring on our team? And this all comes with confidence, but also networking and connecting with people who are on the same train as what you are. So all of those years ago, I would have said it wasn't a case of not giving up because I've never given up. And in fact, that fire in my belly is stronger now than it ever has been. And um, yep, I love the passion that it gives me on a daily basis and all of the connections because I do so much with um, young new and advanced property strategies, as you know, with all of these clients as well. So, you know, I'm I'm very, very fortunate. I reap so many benefits. But also, too, there's so much that if we can work as a one and as a whole, the whole world would be a very different place. And, uh, yeah, keep on going. On another note, aside from her current property project, Magtai explains that she's also excited to be working with others in the future and sharing her expertise in the property field. Well, it was funny. Last week, I was approached um, by a guy who's uh, in property from a different angle than what I was and he said, um, I bought a property and it's two-street frontage and it's got a house on it that's pretty feral at the moment that's rented out. And he said, I'd like to take you on board um, on a, a basis that, um, could be invoiced or would you like to come on board? I just want to learn from you. And all of these things, even like the um, childcare, I haven't got a set in the deal. Uh, and I said to him, yes, I'd like to come on as a joint venture partner. And it's opportunities that are there. Once you start to value what your 5% is all about, what you're good at, then you start to be working on that and building upon that and monetizing it. And then work will come to you and things will come to you. I'm excited for where that opportunity with that guy will go. And, um, yeah, he's he's well and truly into business and can stand alone and he's, in what he does. He's awesome in, in his own field of expertise. And he's coming to me for support. That's phenomenal. To learn my way of doing it. Um, yeah, how lucky I am. You are very, very lucky. How much of your success do you think is of your skill and intelligence and hard work and how much of it is because of luck? <laughs> uh, well, there's a beautiful saying that our success is seven, 70% psychological and we only need a total of 30% is our skill and um, skill and our, our um, knowledge, yeah, yeah. And everything that we're doing, whether it be property or business or on a personal level with relationships that you've got, it all comes back to your thinking, what's happening between your ears. The rest of it all flows in. Yes, you do need some knowledge. Yes, you do need um, some know-how and things like that. Um, but there's a very good equation that I set out for, for clients sometimes and it's thinking multiplied by your actions give you the results you're getting today. And by thinking, I mean, where would your thinking be? Is it a positive thinking? Are you uh, in the right mindset to be solving problems? So that's where your thinking side of that equation comes in. Then by actions, and people get this confused 
very much with education. If we're going to a workshop, that workshop is education. It is not action. Action is when you actually implement what you've learned, pull your sleeves up, get out of your comfort zone and we'll have a go. So if you multiply by your thinking, multiply by your real actions, your results will probably change to what you've got happening today. Absolutely. Wow. That is phenomenal. Well, Jill, we're pretty much at the end of the podcast. Let's let the listeners know and the audience know what's the best way they can connect with you if they want to find out more about what you do, you know, get in contact with your services and so forth. Well, there's a couple of ways. You can email me at Jill, J-I-L-L dot McIntyre, M-C-I-N-T-Y-R-E, 01 at gmail.com. Or you can have a look at my website, www.decidebelievebeginbecome.com. If you want to hear more about her journey, then visit our website at propertyinvestory.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.